Good morning. If you would, take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Luke chapter 12. We're in Luke chapter 12 this morning. Throughout the beginning of this year, we've been studying the parables. The parables are stories that Jesus told that illustrated the life and values of the kingdom that he came to initiate as the King of kings and Lord of lords. We've seen over the course of the past weeks how his teachings reveal a radically different way of life from the world around us. These stories provide us with a new perspective, a fuller picture of God and of his righteous will for his creation. And these stories can be surprisingly polarizing in that way. Because as Jesus teaches, as this new vision of the kingdom is revealed, there are those who recognize the beauty of divine wisdom. It's light and life to them. But then there are also those who reject this teaching, who walk away from Jesus and who prefer the distortions of this world. The story we find this morning that Jesus tells to his followers then and us today is a wisdom parable. Or perhaps more accurately, it's a foolishness parable. It's a cautionary tale. It's meant to tell us how not to live. And so if you would, please stand with me as we give our attention to God's holy word. Can you reading from Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 13? Jesus had been teaching the people, and then verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said back to the man, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And Jesus then said to the people, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then Jesus told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this, I will tear down my barns, and I will build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Would you pray with me? Lord, we ask you to help us this morning. Lord, let us reject the foolishness of this world and embrace the beauty of your kingdom. Help us learn to seek to be rich in the things of God even as we are so easily consumed with the glittering trinkets around us. Lord, fix our ears on your words and our eyes on our Savior, 
in whose powerful name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, as we come into the scene of this reading this morning, Jesus had been teaching this crowd of people how to live free from fear, how to live with true confidence because of the Holy Spirit's presence with us. Uh, if you take a look at this, I mean, it just how to have no fear. I tell you, friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will tell you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. I mean, this is riveting stuff. This isn't the kind of, the kind of teaching you, you interrupt. But yet Jesus is interrupted. In the middle of, of teaching, this man, who's unnamed, comes up and interrupts because he was preoccupied. He was worried about his inheritance. He was preoccupied with money and with wealth. Now, before we get too high and holy, wondering how could this man be so brazen and inconsiderate, we also have to face the reality that, that we need money. This inheritance was, was likely a sizable amount of money, and it was common in these days for rabbis to act as intermediaries when there were disputes. And today, we also know that we need money to live in this world. It seems obvious, right? We need to buy food, to buy clothes, pay mortgage or rent. We need to buy gas, as that's getting more and more expensive. We can't simply renounce all material things and continue to function within the society. And I don't think Jesus is expecting us to, yet this man receives a firm rebuke from Jesus. And his request becomes ground for a strong warning to all of his followers. So as his followers now, we also ought to learn, as Jesus says, to be on our guard. To recognize the dangers of pursuing riches in this world. And so here's the question that this passage is answering. Jesus is presenting us with the question of why... Is it dangerous to pursue riches in this life? Why is it dangerous to pursue riches in this life? And I think he gives us three reasons. Pursuing riches is easily motivated by greed. Pursuing riches tempts us towards a false security. And finally, pursuing riches risks being a fool in God's eyes. So first, easily motivated by greed. Secondly, pursuing riches tempts us to a false security. And lastly, pursuing riches risks being a fool in God's eyes. So the first thing we're going to talk about is, is how pursuing riches can easily be motivated by greed. Jesus rebukes this man for interrupting his teaching and says to him firmly, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? In other words, Jesus is saying, that's not my job right now. I'm not concerned with your inheritance. So why are you? 
And as a master teacher, Jesus uses this as an opportunity to, to address what is truly important. He turns back to the crowd and resumes his teaching and says to them, Take care and be on guard against all covetousness. So this is a warning. Jesus says, watch out, pay attention, wake up. He follows this with why. Why we must be on our guard. Because your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. I can't give a better definition of greed. Because greed is that insatiable drive to have more and more and more and more and to think that if you have more stuff, you'll have more life. On its face, it seems obvious that this is a lie. Of course, there's more to life than stuff, right? But is it really that obvious? Because we're told every day that you are what you buy. You are what you eat. You are what you drive. You are what you wear. What you drive makes a statement about you, doesn't it? You don't believe me? Well, you're driving in here uh, on, on Sunday morning, drive by the, the baseball fields over here at the factory and see how many of the cars are exactly the same. It's not just sports cars from middle-aged crises. No, it's also minivans for young families. It's young men with muscle cars. In certain areas of the country, you have to have a truck. Whether or not you ever actually put anything in the bed of the truck, you have to have a truck. But it's also true of what we wear. You know, it's not only the case that big logos tell you what kind of band you like. It's... Teen stores at the mall get all the attention for this. But it remains true for adults, too. I remember back in, in 2020, during the election, uh, um, some of the articles were being written about the cultural divide that was coming up in our country. And they described the, the cultural divide in this way. Are you a Cracker Barrel person or a Whole Foods person? And, and we laugh because it seems silly and foolish, but it's also true that as I say that, there's pictures in your mind that start to develop. Why else would corporations spend so many millions of dollars on celebrities to be seen with their products? Or social media influencers to mention their brands in their TikToks and Instagram feeds? We all play these games. In our market-driven consumer capitalist society, your reinvention is often just a credit card payment away. And so many of us chase that. When life gets stressful, we spend. And we call it retail therapy. Again, it sounds ridiculous on its surface until you try it out and you realize, hey, it kind of works. The dopamine rush is real. But it's also true that if you chase those things, your life will be as thin as your credit card receipt. So why is greed dangerous? I think it's dangerous because we lose sight that all we have is a gift from God for us to steward. This blindness 
is illustrated in the parable portion of, of Jesus' interaction. So verse 16, Jesus tells this parable. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. What's so interesting about the way that Jesus describes this parable, describes this man, is that the landowner didn't, didn't realize that it was the land that was producing and not him. Did you notice that? Verse 16, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. It doesn't say he did anything. The landowner only sees his increase and not the blessing from God. It's also interesting that he doesn't see the efforts of his employees that no doubt helped in those labors. Unless all this increase is something he's doing himself, which it doesn't seem to be the case. Yet all he sees, the landowner, all he sees is the opportunity to level up his lifestyle. And so in this way, he's blind to any other way that he could use his wealth. Did you notice that? He asks, what shall I do? He asks himself, and then he answers himself. So in the parable, the man is unable to give anything to God. It never enters his mind. He never even thinks to seek outside wisdom or divine guidance from God. He's also unable to reward his co-workers. The landowner gives himself all the credit, so why should he share his increase? In this way, his greed has limited his ability to live to his full potential as he's unable to give to God or to others. And so, brothers and sisters, we too must be on guard against this temptation. We must remember that what God entrusts to us is a stewardship. The Lord still owns and controls all things, even that which he has put temporarily under our charge. And so we ought to seek his wisdom on how to use it. We need to be in regular prayer. I think an, another practical step we can take is to regularly give to God's kingdom, to make tithing a regular practice. You see this pattern time and time again in Scripture that when, when righteous people receive an increase, one of the first things they do is they give back to God. One of the practices we have in this church is weekly singing the doxology. What's the first line of that? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. We ought to be reminded that all of it is his. And it's a joy to be able to give back to him. We can also give to others. Covetousness is seeing others' apparent abundance and our apparent lack, right? That's what it means to covet something. I see what you have, and I don't have it, and I want what you have. Well, recognizing the blessings that God has given to us is an opportunity for us to turn covetousness on its head and to take the, the blessings that God has given to us and use it as an opportunity to bless others. So let's not be like the rich landowner who devalued the contributions of his neighbors. Instead, 
we can look for opportunities to be a blessing to those around us. It's said that you can either use others to serve your riches or you can use your riches to serve others. We must recognize the danger of pursuing wealth because of how easily we can be motivated by greed. The second thing that Jesus shows us in this passage is that pursuing riches can easily give us a false sense of security. And I get that because this man, this this interrupter, seems to be very insecure. He interrupts Jesus and goes in a totally different direction from where Jesus has been teaching. And it would be one thing to interrupt a teacher in the midst of teaching and ask a relevant question, right? You know, I didn't quite understand this, or how would you apply this in this situation? That's, that's being a good, a good, thoughtful student. Most teachers would welcome that kind of interruption. But no, this man goes in a totally different direction. He is distracted by worries about his, his inheritance. And he also comes with a demand He says, tell my brother to divide the inheritance. In that, there's a presumed judgment. As in, my brother needs to do this. He doesn't ask Jesus to take a look at the situation and evaluate what is right. No, he says, Jesus, you need to tell him to do this. And that may have been what earned the man such a harsh rebuke. Because he wasn't asking for Jesus' insight or help. He just wanted Jesus to use his power for his gain. And I think if you're telling God what needs to happen with your finances, that should really be a red flag. Your priorities are likely in the wrong place. You're looking for something in money that's different from what money is supposed to do. And so this first man is insecure, thinking that inheritance, this large inheritance, will solve his problems. This idea that money solves problems is clearly seen in the parable that Jesus tells. The rich man thought that he was secure because he had so much stuff. And so he began just planning his early retirement. Verse 19, uh, the man says to himself, I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. You see, this man thought that he was set, that he had a long life of leisure and luxury ahead of him, visions of sandy beaches, drinks with the little umbrellas in them. That sounds pretty good. But this security was quickly shown to be false. Verse 20, no sooner did this man make these plans that God says to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? God demanded his very soul of this landowner. The one thing that his money could not buy was another moment on this earth. So why is that relevant for us? Well, let me ask you, any of you who have, who have stocks or investments, what's another word we use for our stocks and investments? Securities. The Security Exchange Commission, you might have heard of that. 
We put a lot of thought and principled discipline into how we save and invest our money. We want our retirement particularly to look a certain way. And with each financial crisis that does a great job of exposing just how weak and vulnerable that supposed security really is. Have you ever felt nervous and anxious over the economic news of these past few years? Has it gone up and down and up and down? Has your mood fluctuated along with the market? How do you feel when you open your bank account? Or when you go to check the mail? Or maybe as April 15th gets closer and closer? But let me also ask you this. If that doesn't cause you anxiety, have you ever wondered why? Is it perhaps because you are wealthy? You see, the rich landowner didn't think he had any problems. He just needed to big bu build bigger barns. Are you similarly blinded by affluence? Because the truth is, money really can make life easier in a lot of ways. If you've never had to choose between paying your mortgage or paying your credit card bill, maybe you've never had to do a mental tally of your shopping cart at the grocery store to make sure you could afford the, your food for that week. Maybe you've never had to worry about having car issues because you need to get it fixed or just buy a new one. If that's you, and mind you, I'm preaching to myself as I say this, you really need to be cautious. You need to be on your guard because your security may too easily be in the wrong place. All the wealth of this world is fleeting and it will be left here and not taken into eternity. When God called for the man's soul, there was no amount of money that could buy him another moment. All the treasures of this world will be eaten by moths, stolen by thieves, and destroyed in a moment. None of it will be taken with us into the next life. Our true security must be found in Jesus Christ and in him only. We regularly read in, in our church Heidelberg Catechism question number one, what is your only comfort, your only security, your only stronghold in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong in, life, in body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. When we were dead in our trespasses, unable to pay the debt of sin, he fully paid for our debt with his precious blood. And he alone is able to carry us through every trial and hardship of this life. Those that can be solved with money and those that can't. He has promised that he will use every situation of our lives to sanctify us, to make us more like Christ himself, and to give glory to God. Brothers and sisters, know this. Nothing is wasted in the sovereign account of our great Redeemer. For our God is a mighty fortress, a stronghold never failing. There is no power in this world that can stand against him, as Paul reminds us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? 
neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ our Lord. At the end of this life, he has promised to welcome us into his presence for all eternity. This alone is true security. And it's greater than anything money could ever buy. And brothers and sisters, if we truly believe that, if we truly rest in that, it frees us. It frees us to be generous and to appropriately use our wealth. Yes, absolutely make a budget. Yes, absolutely live by it. Yes, save for retirement. And yes, invest investigate things like life insurance and inheritances to make sure that your loved ones are cared for. Realize, however, that all these things are stewardship. Don't let any of these things take your eyes off of Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let us always be ready to learn at his feet what he would teach us and not be distracted by wealth. Because you will either be owned by your stuff or by your Savior. No one serves both God and money. And only one can offer true security. So, let's review. We need to be careful in pursuing riches because it can be easily motivated by greed. It can easily lull us into a false sense of security. And lastly, we need to be careful when pursuing riches because it puts us at risk of being a fool in God's eyes. Now let me ask you, does this story surprise you, this story that Jesus tells? Do you think it would have surprised the man who asked about his inheritance in the first place? Because here's the thing, I really don't think that the man saw any wickedness in his request. He thought he was in the right. He thought that he was being cheated and it was well within his rights to seek his fair share of the inheritance. He didn't see anything wrong with it. Similarly, the landowner. He didn't see any danger in his barn building. He thought he was making good use of his, the increase of his wealth. This is what you do when you're successful. Neither of them saw anything wrong in what they were doing, and yet they received a rebuke from God. Now, how does that happen? How can we be so blind to this kind of sin? Well, I think it's this. The world esteems the rich, don't we? Greed is good, Gordon Gecko tells us, quite shamelessly. Turn on the TV and see all the reality TV shows that follow rich people around their fabulous lives and their expensive lifestyles. So often the American dream is described in stuff, isn't it? A white picket fence, two late model cars, a house that looks like something off of HGTV, vacations at the beach in the summer and mountains in the winter. Most of us, I think, if we heard about a man that was building bigger barns and retiring early, we'd probably think, gosh, that guy's doing something right. 
Because you see, every fool is wise in his or her own eyes. Yet God has harsh things to say about the rich. James 5 says this, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasures in the last days and behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you have kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. Here's the hard truth for many of us. We live like kings. Don't believe me? Because it's, it's easy for all of us to look around and see someone else with a higher standard of living. But get this, we have indoor plumbing. Do you know what a miracle that is? How much disease we, we avoid because of that? All, almost all of us have air conditioning and heating. Almost all of us have more than one set of clothes. Can you imagine how people a hundred years ago would have re reacted to this thing? And yet, many of us are, are thinking, well, it's more complicated than that. Like, I, I really do need a car and, and, a, and really a kind of particular car in order to carry my kids around. And I, I need certain things in order to be able to do my job. I, I, I need to dress this way for my line of work. And I get it because, hi, I'm standing here in a suit and I drive a minivan, a late model minivan at that. But it's complex because it's so subtle. We must see, brothers and sisters, our propensity for foolishness. How easy it is to go after worldly wealth rather than God's will. So many of us have built our own barns rather than building his kingdom. We go after the comforts of this world rather than the true security that is found in our faithful Savior. We are more concerned with our stuff than with our souls. So what do we do about that? How do we find true wisdom? Well, here's something practical. Have you ever sat down with a Christian brother or sister and taking a serious look at your finances, at your budget, how you spend and save the money that God has given, and ask the question, does this look like wisdom? Older saints, have you ever sat down with a younger couple or single and, and shared without shame both the true, both the good and the bad of your own financial history? Because all of us from time to time, often before we realize that it's happening, we fall into greed. We fall into false security. It's the common cold of our culture, and yet it's deadly if it's left unchecked. It's why our Savior is so adamant that we need to pay attention. We need to stay on our guard. Proverbs 23 says this, When you sit down and eat with a ruler... Observe carefully what is before you. 
and put a knife to your throat if you are given to appetite. Do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. Do not toil to acquire wealth, but be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle towards heaven. We must learn true wisdom, brothers and sisters. In repentance, we must set our eyes on Christ for forgiveness, for help, and for hope. That we might fix our eyes on him and his kingdom and not on the riches of this world. Because it's only with his constant help that we can navigate this narrow road. Jesus has said to all of his followers, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and and the way is easy, which leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many. And yet the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. But Christ has better things for us than the fleeting trinkets of this world. We see a glimpse of it here in this passage. As Jesus says, so it is for the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. That suggests to us that there is a way to be rich towards God that's different than storing up treasures in this world. That there are riches to be found at the right hand of our Savior. There is sweetness of eternal fellowship with the creator and sustainer of all things. There's the thrill of true purpose that is found in following after his will, of blessing others, and seeing joy multiplied before our eyes. Because, brothers and sisters, let me leave you with this one thought, a piece of wisdom from a saint who has gone before us. That he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Would you pray with me?